Thanks, Josiah. So for the last couple weeks, we've been in this brief mini-series, camped out right here in Acts 2. Acts, if you remember, follows the story of the early church. You know, Jesus Christ, after he died and was raised back to life, he ascended into the heaven and then sent his spirit to fill the disciples and empower them to go to the ends of the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, to bear witness to his life, death, and resurrection. And so far in the book of Acts, we've seen that great signs and wonders have taken place. And there's been this huge crowd that has gathered. And Peter, one of the apostles, has stood up and has preached this magnificent sermon about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Luke tells us that over 3,000 people heard the gospel, were convicted of their sins, repented, were baptized, and were added to the church. And it's this church, the early church, the first church, that we are looking at. And we are asking, what is the church supposed to do? What is the church to be about? Luke tells us in this passage that they were devoted to four things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And we've been looking at these things. Two weeks ago, we looked at how the new church, the early church, was devoted to the apostles' teaching. That means that the, the apostles spoke the truth about who Jesus is and what God had done through him to bring us salvation. And it meant that they sat under their teaching because these men were commissioned with authority to speak truth. And then last week, we looked at how the early church was devoted to the fellowship. They weren't just friends with one another. They didn't just spend time with one another. They understood that they belonged to one another. And they understood that what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus was that we follow Jesus together. And this week, we're going to conclude this mini-series and see that the early church was devoted to worship. Devoted to worship, to, to coming together and praising God. In the next 25 or 30 minutes as I'm preaching, your body is going to do something extraordinary 460 times. 460 times in the next 25, 30 minutes, your body is going to do something extraordinary. You are going to take in oxygen, fill your lungs. That oxygen is going to get transferred into your bloodstream. And then your heart is going to pump that blood filled with oxygen to every part of your body so that your tissues and organs can function. And then your body is going to take the poison of carbon dioxide and send it back to the lungs, and then you're going to exhale it. Isn't that extraordinary? 460 times in the next 25 minutes, you're going to breathe. And because of that, you will live. 
something so ordinary as breathing. We don't even think about it. Maybe you are now, but usually we don't even think about breathing, and yet something extraordinary is happening. My hope that as we look at how the church is to be devoted to worship, that we will come to see that in the ordinary things of reading, praying, singing, eating a meal can have an extraordinary impact on our lives and into the lives of our neighbors. Every week we're asking these three questions about this passage. One, what were they devoted to? Two, what did that look like for them? And then three, what might that mean for us? What were they devoted to? What did that look like for them? And what might that mean for us? Let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Heavenly Father, I pray now that we would worship you through your spirit because of what you have done for us through your son Jesus. It is extraordinary that you call us yourself to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A couple weeks ago I mentioned that these four things at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, these four things that most scholars say these were the identifying marks of what it meant to be part of the Christian church. Throughout the generations, when Christians have gathered together, it is these four things that mark Christians off from the rest of the world. This is what defines Christian worship. The apostles' teaching, so that's reading the Bible. The fellowship, that's coming together and being united. The breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, that's Luke's way of talking about that. And the prayers. You know, whether that's extemporaneous prayer or a written prayer or even song, because singing is a form of prayer also. These four things, this is what it means to come and worship. Luke is telling us that the first church, the early church, the followers of Jesus were devoted to worship. Now, what does that mean? What is that word worship? If you grew up in the church, 
and, and going to church on Sunday was such a common thing for you, you you're probably like a fish in an aquarium that struggles to define what it means to be wet. It's just the air you breathe or the water that you swim in. Worship is just something that you do, and it's, it's hard to define what it means to worship. And, and if you didn't grow up in the church, or if you're new to the church, or whether you have never been to church and you're watching online, you might be wondering, what is happening when Christians get together? Like, what is really going on? On Sunday mornings, why would anyone wake up early on their day off, get bundled up and go out into the freezing cold, and then stand in a room with people you've never met before, sing songs maybe you've never heard before, and then sit and listen to someone talk about a book written over 2,000 years ago? It is strange. So what is happening when we come together and worship. What does it mean to worship? To worship means to ascribe ultimate value and worth and honor and glory onto someone or something that deserves it. It means to ascribe ultimate value and honor and glory and praise onto someone or something that deserves it. Verse 46 of our passage says that when the Christians came together, they worshiped, and it says that they praised God. God was the object of their worship. It is he that they were ascribing ultimate value, honor, glory, praise to God. Not just some idea of God or some unknowable deity. This was God the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who called his people out of the wilderness and said, I've got a plan for you. God, who, who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush and said, you will lead my people out of Egypt. God, who parted the Red Sea and led his people by a tower of cloud, smoke, and fire, God who spoke from the mountain and gave his law to the people. God who dwelled with his people in the temple. That is who they worshipped. The God who had delivered them, who had rescued them, and was their God. They were his people, and they worshipped him. I don't think that it is too little for me to say that we were made to worship that God. We were made to worship that God. That is what the whole Bible points us to. That is what the whole scripture points us to and directs us to, is that we are called to worship God. They praised him. They rejoice in all of his works. He is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And so they praised him for that. This is why you were made. To bring him worship. The end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, 
the Apostle John is, is brought up into this vision and he sees the heavens open up. And there in the heavens, there is a lamb who has been slain. And around the lamb who has been slain, there are creatures and angels and the saints of God around him, bowing down and praising him, singing songs. The end of human history is worship. Everything points to worship. Everything is designed to worship, to worship Jesus. Because in Jesus, God has come to us. To be devoted to worship is to be devoted to worshiping Jesus. You might think that the world is divided between people who worship and people who don't worship. But that's not actually how the world is divided. The world is divided between people who worship something deserving of their worship, Jesus, and people who worship something that is less than deserving their worship. Everyone worships something. Everyone ascribes value and honor and glory and praise to something. So the world is filled with people who worship, whether you are worshiping someone who deserves it or something that doesn't. Let me describe a worship event. For most of the year, every weekend, millions of people wake up early they don on unique and special clothes that they have reserved for the weekend, the clothes that they wouldn't wear any other time. And, and they get up, and then they go in their car. Sometimes they go to their, a, a friend's house. They gather with other people. Sometimes they go outside when they have to or when it's nice out. They go inside or outside buildings. They gather together. And they consume food and drink, common food and drink that they have every time they gather. And there's singing involved. There's chants. There's a call and response. There's time of great celebration and joy. There's time of weeping and tears. Sometimes there are even prayers. And during these events, for a few hours, every weekend in the fall, the only thing that matters is whether the Browns or the Buckeyes won. Now, I'm not saying if you're a sports fan that you are worshiping a sports team, but I am saying how common it is for us to ascribe value and honor and praise onto something that is less than deserving glory. Look, we were made to worship. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you worshiping something, something or someone that deserves it? The early church was devoted to worshiping Jesus. What did that look like for them? Well, in verse 46, we see that Worshiping Jesus meant this. It meant a, a regular pattern of both gathered and scattered worship. A regular pattern of both gathered and scattered worship. Let me read verse 46, and then we'll break that down. Luke says, And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There are three components to what it means to worship Jesus. It is a regular pattern of both gathered and scattered worship. Let me break that down first. A regular pattern. Luke says they did this day by day. Recently in in psychology and sociology, there's been a lot of work being done about the power of habits. The role that habits play in who we are. There's great books and articles and journals about how to kick bad habits, how to begin new habits, and the effects that habits have on who we are. One Christian contributor to this conversation has said that is our deepest longings, our our deepest desires, the thing that our heart beats for is controlled by our habits, by, by the repeatable patterns and rhythms of our life that those habits inform and shape our heart's desire. So that by repeated actions, one way or another, we change even what we desire. It sinks down below our consciousness. It becomes our default that we do it without even thinking about it, like breathing. This author says that to love God takes practice. And so the early church had regular patterns. Day by day, day after day, they came and worshiped. Look, this is why our worship service every week looks the same. Every week we do the same thing over and over again. That's not because I'm tired and I'm not creative and I can't think of anything else. It's because I want this worship service to become a pattern in your life. You'll see in the bulletin, there's four acts to the story that we get into on Sundays. God invites us and we worship him. We come before him and confess our sins because we're not worthy to come into his presence. And then we hear the gospel spoken over us and we're reminded that he has made us worthy. And then we are commissioned into the world to be his witnesses. Friends, that is the gospel. That is why every week at church we do the same thing over and over again. It's because I want this to become a pattern in your life. Martin Luther said that he needed to hear the gospel in worship day after day after day. He said, it's because I forget it all the time. I want this pattern of the gospel to become so default to who you are that it becomes a habit in your own life, that as you wake up day by day, you say, Lord, you have given me life. I don't deserve it. But because of your love, I am made worthy through Jesus. And you have sent me into this day 
to be your witness. Every day, what would your life look like if every day you began the day in that pattern? So day by day, they met together and worshiped. But they worshiped both gathered and scattered. Gathered, Luke says that they came to the temple to worship. They came together. I mean, there's over 3,000 of them. They had to go to the temple courts. But they wanted to. They came together to, to hear the apostles' teaching, to pray together, to sing together, to be together. Last week, I focused a lot on what it means to be part of the fellowship. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole again. But let me just say, uh, by way of an illustration, why it is so important to go to the house of God together to come here together and to be together. It's another football illustration. I, I think there's something happening this evening that came into my sermon. All right, imagine if you will, and it won't be hard because we're in a pandemic, that you can't gather with a bunch of your friends tonight to watch the game. And, and, and you say, hey, sorry, I can't make it. I'm going to record it. I'll watch it tomorrow. Well, at the end of the week, you guys watched the same game, you, you, you took in the same content, but by watching it yourself, you've missed out on a lot of what could have been yours by coming together. I mean, the memories shared of rooting for your team or against the other team, the, the, the fun of consuming chips and guac and dip and, you know, stuff you wouldn't eat elsewhere the laughter of watching the commercials together. And this is such a fun experience. And if you aren't together doing it, you're missing out. I mean, that, that is true to a small degree, but to a much larger degree. When we gather together as the people of God on Sunday mornings, something extraordinary happens. Jesus said, when two or three gather in my name, there I will be. Do you realize that when we begin this worship service and we use God's own word to say he has invited us here? It is because we believe that God's presence in a supernatural way through his spirit is amongst us. And if you are at home by yourself and not with the people of God, you are missing out on something. I'm not saying you don't get anything. I know there's reasons why people have to stay home and can't make it on Sunday morning. God absolutely is gracious and gives his grace to people in a number of different ways. But let us not neglect coming together as the writer of Hebrews challenges us to. Let us not neglect coming together as the people of God because God is here and he is doing something extraordinary. But they didn't just gather to worship. They also were scattered to worship. Luke says they met in their homes, breaking bread and receiving their meals with glad and generous hearts, praising God. One of the ways that we offer an opportunity to do that is by joining one of our story groups. And it's in those groups that we reflect on the sermon. We reflect on God's word. We reflect on what he is teaching us in our lives. 
And we encourage one another. We pray for one another. We challenge one another. Story groups is where we can meet in our homes, receive our meal with glad and generous hearts, and praise God together. But in addition to story groups, I want to challenge you. What does it look like for you and your spouse, your family, or just by yourself? What does it look like for you to worship God at home? What patterns have you erected in your own life that help you worship God? Maybe it is reading and praying. Maybe it is singing songs. Maybe it is just focusing on God's presence. One of the best resources that I know that has helped our family is this book called Every Moment Holy. And it's this beautiful book. It's got beautiful graphics. And in this book, it has prayers to help you worship God in every moment of the day. Every ordinary moment can be turned to prayer and praise of God. There are prayers for doing your laundry. There are prayers for making meals. There are even prayers, if you're a beekeeper, for doing home repairs. There are prayers for when you have a sick day and have to stay home. There are prayers for when you get home after a long and weary day at work. There are prayers for changing diapers, prayers for when you feel like you're coveting the latest and newest technology, and there are prayers for suffering and grieving loss, and prayers for celebrating like when you put up the Christmas tree. Every moment, every ordinary moment of our lives is an opportunity to praise God for his extraordinary grace and mercy. What does that look like for you? The early church was devoted to worshiping Jesus. And the way that it looked like was that they had regular patterns coming together in gathered worship and scattered worship. So what does that look like for us as Story Church? What does that mean for us when we gather together? I think it means that we should prioritize worshiping together. Make it a priority in our own lives for two reasons. One, worshiping together at Story Church, it shapes our identity as the people of God. And then two, it forms us as the people of God. It shapes our identity and it forms us. Here's what I mean. It shapes our identity. We are a distinct people. We are the people that God has blessed. He has called us to himself. He has set us apart by the blood of his son. He has called us into a new community that has a new identity in Jesus. That is why we baptize people. Because baptism is that initiation, that identifying action that says, you belong to Jesus. You belong to him. You are washed clean from your sin, and you are united to him in his death and resurrection. 
Baptism is, is, is what we offer people when they join the church and they haven't yet been baptized. Because the people of God that meet together are identified as his own people, distinct from the rest of the world. Not, not because we're better or that we do other, you know, we are not better than the rest of the world. What marks us as unique from the world is that we know that we're worse than everyone else. We, each of us, are the chief of sinners. We come to him as sinners, but now covered in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so when we come together, we remember that. We are a unique and distinct people of God. And regularly coming together demonstrates that to ourselves, to one another here, and to the world. And when you get to work on Monday and your buddy, your coworker asks, hey, how was your weekend? Do you say you went to church? And what a great opportunity in that moment to say, man, I belong to God. I, I am his chosen. I am his beloved. Come with me. Come experience that love. Come experience a community where we are fully known and totally accepted. We should prioritize worship together as a church because it shapes us, our identity as God's people. But then secondly, prioritizing worship, we should do that because it forms us as God's people. It shapes us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Everything that we do, from the call to worship to the benediction, is designed to form us as God's people. That, that same philosopher that contributed to the conversation about habits he, he uses this word that worship is counterformational. It's not just forming us, it is counterforming us away from the formation that's taking place all around us in the world. We are doing something unique and different here that sets us apart and makes us into the people that are different than the world. Let me quickly break down some things that we do. Our call to worship and our benediction are God's word for you. And we start and end our service with God's word because we need to remember that our lives do not begin and end with us. Our days do not begin and end with us. It is the Lord God who spoke you into being and he will remain long after you have died. He is the one who is sovereign over everything. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And so even as we begin and end our worship service, we are reminded it is him that calls us into being and him that sends us out. And then we confess our sins. Where else in this world today can you be honest about your shortcomings, your weaknesses, your limitations, and your sin? Where else are you allowed or welcomed or invited to do that? Look, on, on the left and right, all over the place, cancel culture has seeped into everything. If you admit your errors, you are canceled. 
Jesus does not cancel you. He says, come, be honest about yourself. I am not rejecting you. I am not casting you away. I am here to heal you. We confess our sins because the Lord hears us and forgives us. And that's why we assure one another of the forgiveness that we have. All around us, we're surrounded by voices, whether they're inside of us or outside of us, whether they're parents or siblings or coworkers or bosses that say, you're not measuring up. But it is the words of forgiveness that say, Jesus covers you and makes you worthy. In him, you are beloved. And then we hear God's word read and explained to us. Man, this ancient book written 2,000 years ago that doesn't make sense. It's hard to understand. We believe that this is God's word of truth for our lives. And in a world of alternative facts, fake news, it is God's word that is capital T, truth. And every week we submit ourselves to it because we say, I don't know where else to stand in this world, but I can stand on the word of God. We do this every week to be reminded that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We need to hear his word for us because it enables us to live, to have abundant life. I could go on why we sing and, and we pray because God is worthy of that, that we're calling out to him. We're using words even of songs that we aren't familiar with because it forms us. Everything that we do on Sunday morning is designed to form us as God's people. One pastor, Duke Kwan, in Washington, D.C., said this, there is nothing so ordinary and so extraordinary as weekly worship. The steady drip of grace through the means like flawed preaching, awkward conversations, sour juice, mysteriously intermingled with the life-altering heavenly presence, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so we do not hanker after the Sunday hype, remembering how, for all of its near forgettability, it is breathing that keeps us alive. It is the ordinary things that reveals to us the extraordinary grace of God. In closing, I want to focus on the Lord's Supper. And I did this last week, but, you know, it's so good. I'm, I'm going to do it again. Look at verse 42. Verse 42 of our passage says that the church was devoted to the breaking of bread. This is Luke's way of saying that they regularly celebrated the Lord's Supper. They regularly came together, communed with one another, and shared this meal. Remember Jesus' words on the night in which he was betrayed. He took the bread and broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. And then after he was resurrected, remember the story? 
Two of his disciples are leaving town, walking home. Their hearts are downcast because their teacher was crucified. And Jesus appears to them, but they do not recognize him. But then they sit down for a meal. And Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And their eyes are opened. He is revealed to them in the meal. Friends, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Jesus reveals himself to us. He makes himself known to us. Man, bread and juice, the ordinary elements of, of a wafer and a cup of sour juice, ordinary elements, but an extraordinary gift of grace. In this meal, Jesus makes himself known to us. He reminds us of the cost that it took to purchase our salvation. He reminds us that his blood has been spilled that now covers us. He reminds us that we are united to him. We can abide in him by coming to him. This meal reminds us that not only do we belong to Jesus, but we belong to one another as we come together for this meal. To be devoted to worship is to celebrate the extraordinary things of grace in the midst of the ordinary here on Sunday morning. And the only way we can do that the only way that we can experience the extraordinary grace in the midst of the ordinary is if we know in our heart that Jesus was devoted to worship. Jesus was devoted to worship. Everything he did pleased the Father. Everything he said pleased the Father. Everything he prayed was in line with his Father's heart. He perfectly worshipped our Father God in spirit and truth. And that meant that he went to the cross. Because he worshipped his Father and gave him the glory. He said, I will obey you, Father. You have sent me into this world to die in their place. Because Jesus was devoted to worship and has secured our salvation, we now, in him, can come and worship. Let us pray.